let's hit it. And welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. And welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. If you enjoyed our opening song, it's called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band featuring Maya Dore. And you can download that on any of your favorite music platforms. For those of you who are new to our show, we're about sound information, not just sound bites. And our goal is to raise all voices, big and small, from those diagnosed to those that care and serve them to advocates and researchers, and so much more. To our listeners, I want to thank you for your loyalty in pushing Alzheimer's Speaks out so that we are known all around the world. I love my job and I find it fascinating. And I really think we as a community are making a difference, building a sense of community, collaboration, and comfort so that we can raise awareness and we can get the products, services, and tools to the people in need and win this battle against Alzheimer's. Now, some of you probably know that it's World Alzheimer's Month. And so with that, Alzheimer's Disease International is doing a hashtag, Let's Talk About Dementia. You can also go to Alzheimer's Disease International and um, register for ADI's World Alzheimer's Report, which will be released Monday, September 21st. In addition, I want to give a shout out to uh, Artist Senior Living in Woodbury, Minnesota. We are going to be starting a memory cafe, a virtual one, which will be the third Wednesday of each month, starting September 16th. And you are welcome to register for that at 612-200-0506. That's 612-200-0506. What else do I want to give a shout out to? The MemoryCafeDirectory.com, of course. Um, These are such powerful groups, and I highly recommend that uh, families get involved with these. These are Um, gatherings for people with dementia and their care partners to learn to live graciously together. And on September 23rd and 24th, depending on where you are in the world, um, Dementia Alliance International is doing their um, Meeting of the Minds webinar called Human Rights as a Practice Model for Residential Aged Care. And Daniela Greenwood is going to be leading that. And you can go to dai.org for more information. Uh, And last, I am just going to do a shout out to the Foot Bar Walker. They are absolutely amazing. 
this is a walker that not only helps the person using it, but the person supporting them so that they don't blow out their back or strain their arms or shoulders. It really is something that you need to check out and it allows the patient using the walker to feel more independent and allow them a little bit more dignity in the process of getting around. So with no further ado, let me introduce you to do Reverend and Dr. Jade Angelica. She is the founder and the director of Healing Moments for Alzheimer's, and she's been a previous guest with us before, and I just, uh, I don't know, we're, we're kind of um, soul sisters in some fashion in terms of our belief in terms of dementia in the journey. And she has been leading workshops and presentations for dementia and caregivers throughout the country since 2007. And she was inspired to do this work because she cared for her mother, Jean, who died from Alzheimer's in uh, 2011. Jade is the author of Where Two Worlds Touch, A Spiritual Journey Through Alzheimer's Disease as well as an audio play we will be featuring today called The Forgiving and the Forgetting, Hope and Healing for Alzheimer's. So welcome, Jade. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm so excited and happy to be here, Lori, and to spend time with you again. So thank you so much for having me on your program. Well, this is going to be really unique because your play is audio, and so it's perfect for the radio, and it's going to keep listeners really in tune. Uh, I think especially our older listeners who are used to listening uh, to these things, you know, via the radio before the TV was around. Um, so right. it's really kind of a fun, uh, fun, fun experience. Before we go live with the play, uh, Jade, I mentioned in the intro that you were personally touched because of your mom had dementia, just like mine did. But I was mm -hmm. wondering if there was something specific on that journey that motivated you to write the play. Well, it, it, it was this journey with my mom that motivated me to do all of this work because I was what I, I found that I was discovering um, ways and techniques that people could that that were helping me interact more deeply with my mother and i just felt really drawn to want to share those with other people because as you know alzheimer's caregivers dementia caregivers often suffer perhaps even more than the person who has the disease themselves because they don't know what to do they don't know what's happening so for me it was about sharing information um, in a way that would inspire and touch people more deeply than just information for their minds, knowledge for their minds. So um, it, it, the play actually, the first version of the play was actually an assignment for one of my school programs for my doctor of ministry program in a, a course called Faith, Health, and Spirituality. So all of those things came together um, in this play. We address the, my personal um, journey with my mom, so my own personal experiences came into it, as well as my research into the Alzheimer's field, in addition to all of the study that I was doing in the fields of theology and spirituality. So all of them came together in this particular, in this particular piece. 
And that is so important, you know, that mm-hmm. it, because you can't segment, segment, you know, what is happening to our relationships and to individuals beings during this process. So, um, you know, I, I just, I thought it was brilliant. And as you know, I love multimedia, you know, yeah. to be able to reach people. Um, there's, you know, if it's, if it's film, um, if it's audio, um, storytelling just grabs people mm-hmm. in a way that is almost unconscious, you know, where they just kind of slip into it and, exactly. and can look at it in a, in a little different light. And so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm so glad that you, that you wrote this play. Where has the play been so far and what has been the reaction from the public? Hmm. Um, the play actually was a part of three different conferences. Our first performance was in 2013 at a conference that was for the Alzheimer's Association here in Iowa, where I'm living. And it was performed by a group of community actors, as well as students from the University of Dubuque. And um, people who had had been uh, family caregivers and, you know, working, studying and going to workshops were just um, astounded by what they learned um, in, in ways that they hadn't learned before. And so that piece was really um, important. There also happened to be a group of nurses in the nursing students in the audience and they felt it was really important that they wanted to have this kind of training for all of the nursing students so they you could just see that their expressions and their understanding were opening up in a way that they hadn't really learned in you know say a lecture about alzheimer's and caregiving Um, so that was the first production we also had a number of uh, productions um, for the community and it it was like the word spread like wildfire and they were every single one of them was sold out so we had four performances for the general public in town so that was really exciting and then what we decided is we wanted to uh, take 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 the um, show on the road and so we rewrote it so it had a, a smaller cast so we had about uh, 10 to 11 cast members and we um, decided to offer it as a part of a conference for the International Council on Aging. Um, it was the Interfaith International Council, uh, Interfaith Council on Aging here in the United States. And we did this in Chicago and um, I did a lot of grant writing. And what you find out when you're performing a play Um, And this will address uh, one of our other questions about why did we do an audio performance. When you're uh, presenting a live performance, it's very expensive. And what happens is you have one or two or three or four live performances, and then it's over. Um, And so what we decided to do with this performance in Chicago is we decided to videotape it so that we could could share it more easily with other people. Well, we weren't very experienced at videotaping a live play and the, the uh, video turned out fine, but the audio made it 
unusable. We couldn't really hear it very well. We didn't know how to, to get good audio. So the, uh, but the, the reaction to the play, the live play by the people who um, were experts in the field of Alzheimer's care, they really felt like it was something that we should share more so with the public, just because of what you mentioned, Lori, about that way that artistic expressions can reach people emotionally. And that's really where the deep learning happens, when the emotions get involved. So the next thing we did, we were invited to come to an international uh, conference on spirituality and aging in Los Angeles. So we decided to do a, a reading of the play rather than a live performance, less expensive, easier to produce. And so uh, being in Los Angeles, we had the opportunity to have professional uh, actors perform in this. And uh, it was at the conference and a couple hundred people came. And the reaction afterwards was a, a priest came up to me and said, you know, I think every priest should see this play. Um, other people told me that it was the highlight of the conference for them. And what happened is, of course, it was in a large auditorium. So we had an, uh, an audio technician come with microphones so that people would be able to hear. And he recorded the, the play for us, um, unbeknownst to anybody. We didn't know he was going to record it. And so he sent it to me and I listened to it and I thought, oh, this would make a great radio play. Um, unfortunately, we could not use that recording because the actors who had performed in it were SAG actors, many of them. And given the, um, the, the union of actors, uh, we didn't have their permission to record it. It would have been much more expensive. And so we had to let that go. So after that experience, I set out to try to get a good audio recording of the play. And um, it finally came to fruition it, just this year, 2019 is when we did the recording and, and now we have it ready to share with the public. So. Wow, what a, what a journey though. I, it's I, been. You know, I, I remember um, talking to you years ago on, on this whole process um, that yes. you've been on. And I, I so agree with you about the, um, you know, emotional kind of based training because it, it offsets people and they, they, they're not aware that they've fallen into this learning. They, they think right. it's entertainment and then they, right. and then they walk away really feeling something and people don't change and don't have a thorough understanding. I agree until they truly understand and the play allows them to visually see it and act right. out, which has a huge impact. Right. But the audio allows people to develop the characters in their own mind. And if they're on the journey, they're probably picking out some people in their own family and circle, <laughs> you know, to exactly. play some of those parts. So I, I find that fascinating. Um, how did you assemble the cast? I mean, where, where the heck did you find them? You know, you knew you couldn't do the SAG actors in the union because of the cost. So exactly. where, where, where did the cast come from? Well, you know, what was interesting is even before we got to a cast, the first and most important person in this project is the man named Laird Scott, 
and he is somebody who is an independent audio technician. And he had the talent, he happened to have the time and all the equipment that was necessary in order to get a really high quality audio performance, which people may not realize is harder to do than you could imagine. You can't have any background noise. And when we recorded in um, Chicago, we recorded before a live audience. So you had all kinds of people coughing and moving around and shuffling their programs. All of that gets picked up. So, so, so Laird was actually the first person I had to find before we could uh, do this program. And I just really want to say how grateful I am to him because um, he did this as a labor of love, uh, wanting to help people in need, as did every member of this cast. And um, there, Dubuque, Iowa is a fairly small town. And when I moved back here to take care of my mom, I was very impressed by the high quality of the performing arts. And so I knew that we could get a high quality cast. However, there are a couple challenges because a lot of people who um, audition for theater are interested in the live audience experience. And so this, this particular casting call that was calling for an audio recording and a reading um, instead of people having to memorize their lines, uh, drew different kinds of, of actors. So some of the people who came have um, never acted before and they thought that this sounded like something that could be really, you know, something new to try. And they liked the idea that one, people weren't gonna see them and two, um, they didn't have to memorize. This, this is a reading, so people are actually reading the script. Um, the other thing that happened is a lot of the uh, seasoned actors in the cast, or that, that seasoned actors that we had hoped to get into the cast were already committed to shows that were around Christmas and Thanksgiving. So we worked hard to get the cast. A couple of the people, the cast members came because they knew me or Susie or someone else uh, Susie, Susie Wright was the co-director, and um, they came to do us a favor. And what they, they discovered was they didn't even really know what the script was about. They were coming to do a favor. And then they read the script, and they found out what the project was, and they just got very, very invested in it. Um, a couple other people had acted previously, and um, one woman had some physical challenges and didn't think she'd ever be able to act again and this was a perfect experience for her and um, she ended up playing our our Lizzie the mother who had Alzheimer's and did just a terrific job and her commitment her commitment was just amazing and and that's what I want to say is the commitment that the people showed um, to this project was absolutely amazing and um, I can't, I, I can't say enough how proud I am of the production that they put together. Some, some people never even acted before. Wow. So it really yeah. truly was a, a team effort. So what was it like for you to see the play pulled together or, or listen to the play in this instant? Um, 
you know, take its its true form and and hear it, and, you know, see it being being produced. Well, you know, Lori, given that that the script is sort of lo- loosely based on my own life and my own experience with my family members, it every every time I've seen it, including this production, I just am filled with emotion and and gratitude that this story came together in a way that can really reach the hearts of other Alzheimer's caregivers and really help them. And it, it just, it feels a little bit like um, destiny, you know, it's like, it's kind of like a full circle to see these experiences that actually happened to me. Um, and, and I should say that all of the dialogue that's coming from the people with Alzheimer's actually happened. Either in my life, these are things my own mother said or things I witnessed or stories that other caregivers have shared to me about their loved ones. So to see the reality of um, their experiences and, and to know that it's going to help other people is, is just really what this is all about for me. And I know that's what it's about for you too, that we can take our own experiences on this journey and find meaning and purpose, with, which is sometimes a challenge, sometimes suffering. And I know for both you and me, Lori, caring for our moms was great joy. And so we can share our, our experiences with other people. And that's what, it, that's what was just the beauty of this. But to see this cast bring these characters to life was just really, I have to say, a glorious experience for me. It's really joyful. It is interesting to see um, people listen because we're so used to the TV and live performances and, you know, videos and stuff, but to, to, you know, really have people kind of stop and pay attention and engage their mind um, to kind of build the visual story if they need that in their head um, is so powerful. I had experienced that in a, <clears throat> a conference I did where I was doing a, um, a film a screening. And for whatever reason, they put us in a, in a really bright room that couldn't be dimmed. And for, um, for the 90 minutes of the film, people sat and listened. And I, you know, I went up to the, the executive director and I said, you know, we can switch this up. I'll I'll flip over to another program. And he just said, look at them. Mm. Look, look at them. And, and the reviews were, it was, it was astonishing because I never, that never occurred to me that people would listen to the story. And so I, I can relate to what you're talking about and seeing that in action because it's, it's so much more in, um, intensive. I mean, they're just, they're just so much more present, right? I think, in a lot of ways. And um, so, so yeah, really, really powerful. Um, Now, before we go live um, to the play in just a moment, I I just want to mention to our audience that um, one, I know you're going to enjoy this. 
Um, but two, we are going to have a second show on September 17th, which is a Thursday at two o'clock Eastern, one Central, noon Mountain Time, and um, 11 a.m. Pacific Time. And we would love you to join us and kind of do a talk back um, of of this screening of the play without the screen, I guess. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and because uh, I, I think I think it's going to touch your heart. I think you're going to want to have other people listen to it. Um, and I think that's Jade's goal is to get this pushed out so that people, people can experience it because I think they will find, <clears throat> they will laugh and they'll cry through this. Um, but it'll, and it allows people to express emotions knowing they're not alone. And, and I think that is, such a beautiful part of this journey that we shouldn't shove that stuff down um, and that we have to get to the core of our relationships and what is really important um, because until you get to the core I think it's much more difficult to find those moments of joy <clears throat> or to create them mm -hmm. and exactly and so um, <clears throat> mark your calendars for September 17th of course we'll be posting it and we are going to go ahead and um, also I want to give you Jade's contact information too. Um, her email address is um, listed on the show page. But for those of you who are listening that just have a notepad in front of you that might want to reach out to her for a conference or some other platform, or maybe you've got questions or ideas for uh, collaboration, um, you can reach her at Jade, J-A-D-E. Angelica, and that's A-N-G-E-L-I-C-A at gmail.com. So let's get to the play, The Forgiving and the Forgetting, Hope and Healing for Alzheimer's. And again, thank you, Jade, and I look forward to seeing you again on the 17th. My pleasure. And there, there will be uh, at least four cast members joining us on the 17th as well, Lori. Wonderful. So thank you for mentioning that. Welcome, listeners, to this performance of Healing Moments original play, The Forgiving and the Forgetting, Hope and Healing for Alzheimer's. I'm Rev. Dr. Jade Angelica, principal author of the play, founder and director of Healing Moments for Alzheimer's, and co-director with Susie Wright of this production. I want to thank those who have contributed to the script over the years as well as composers Gail Gallagher and Kat Kidwell for their original music, and Attican Music for permission to include the Chicken Dance song, written by Werner Thomas and Louis Julian Van Ridgmanent. We have special gratitude in our hearts for Libby Roderick and Nicole Milner for the creation of their beautiful songs, How Could Anyone, by Libby, and It's a Joy to Get to Know You, by Nicole. We thank Turtle Island Records and Nomi Ya Music for the gift of permission to include these songs in our production. A sincere thank you is extended to my partner in this project, Susie Wright, and to our audio and video technical team, Laird Scott and Roger Richard. This would not have happened without them. Many have generously contributed to this Healing Moments project, and I acknowledge and appreciate their financial and in-kind gifts. Brita Gil-Austern, Nancy Whitlow, Janan Modernock, Shirley Lanners, Lynn Manders and Alina Crow from Gronin Properties, 
and the Greater Dubuque Community Foundation. To our wonderful cast, thank you so much for your dedication to this project and for the generous contribution of your time and talent. You are the show. Our hope, dear listeners, is that you find the message of this play enlightening and inspiring, that it will open your minds, touch your hearts, give you hope, and be a beacon of light for you and your loved ones on the challenging journey through Alzheimer's disease. Our hearts are with you, so please know that you are not alone. Now, to begin our show, let me introduce to you our ukulele and guitar-playing narrator, Benji Miller. Please welcome to the stage the cast of The Forgiving and the Forgetting, Hope and Healing for Alzheimer's. Ruth Osmus, pianist and performing as Alma. Jasmine Barnes as Nurse Kathy. Dave Osmus as Father Tom. David Baird playing the djembe. Janine Pitas, pianist and performing as Eva. Fred Miller as Lyle. Caroline Gramley as Danny. Alanda Gregory as Maggie. And Joan Mest as Lizzie. Act 1, Scene 1. It's July. The action begins in Lizzie's dining room. A swinging door leads to the kitchen. The table is set beautifully. There is a loaf of freshly baked bread in a basket on the table. In this scene, Tom does not see his Aunt Maggie, who has passed away years ago, but Lizzie sees her and talks to her. Maggie responds to Lizzie. Maggie is seated at the table, which is set for two. There is a loud crash off stage, coming from the kitchen where Lizzie is preparing lunch. Lizzie, are you sure you don't want a hand? No, no, there's, there's not much. I've got it. You just relax. Maggie hurries into the kitchen to help her sister. Ow! Damn it! Ow! Maggie! Jesus, Mary, and Joseph! What temperature did you cook this at, Lizzie? 900 degrees? Lizzie bursts into the dining room with a steaming hot casserole and drops it on the table. Maggie follows, holding a dishcloth with ice on her hand. Lizzie takes Maggie's hand and tries to look at it, but Maggie pulls her hand away. Just leave it. It's my own fault. Leave it. I've got it. Now sit down, Maggie, dear. Relax. You're going to like this casserole. It's a recipe from Taste of Home. I'll copy it down for you if you'd like. Me? Follow a recipe? Ha, when pigs fly. You know I just put together whatever sounds good. Right, but who cares about what sounds good? What tastes good is what matters. Ooh, this is burnt, but still tasty. And look, such a lovely table. You always do things with such flair, Lizzie. You have a gift, an artistic gift. I don't think Hank ever appreciated that about you. 
He was an army man, Maggie. He was concerned with more important things. Still, he could have noticed he took you for granted. It isn't in a man's nature to respond to things like that. Like what? Like a nice color. Like softness, flowers. Children, his wife. That's not what I meant. It wouldn't have killed that son of a bitch to show his own family a little appreciation. Hank loved his family, Maggie. I never said he didn't. He just had a miserly way of showing it. Maybe it looked that way to outsiders, but I always believed that somewhere deep inside him, he loved us. Hank was a hard man, Lizzie. I don't mean that in a good way. Megs! He was hard on you. He was really hard on poor Genevieve. I swear to God, he's the reason that neither of your children ever married. He scared them single. No, Maggie, not Tom. He has a vocation to the priesthood. We're very proud of him. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Tom's vocation. At least now he can be here to take care of you. I don't need taken care of. No, you don't need taken care of. You're the one who always takes care. You took care of Mama when she was having her spells. You took care of Hank. You took care of me when I was sick. You take care of everybody. Except Genevieve. Do you think she'll ever forgive me? I should have stood up to Hank, Maggie. I should have. What he did? I should have stopped him. But I didn't know what to do. Tom enters. His energy is visibly low. He is not enthusiastic about much in life these days, but he tries to be upbeat. He is wearing his priest's collar, black shirt, and pants. He is carrying a grocery bag full of zucchini. Hi, Mom. Sorry I'm late. Hope I didn't keep you waiting. Forgive me? I brought some zucchini from the community garden, an early harvest from all that rain. Mmm. Something smells good. Tom exits to the kitchen with the bag of zucchini. Can you beat that? Not so much as a howdy-do. Don't mind him. He's just so busy looking after his flock, you know. I'm lucky if I can see him once a week now. I make lunch for him so he'll be sure to come by. Ha! That's rich. You see him every morning at Mass. It's not the same thing. No, it's better. See, my little baby boy all grown up up there. I don't do that. Pride is a sin, Maggie. Not necessarily. You did a really good job raising Tom. You deserve to feel satisfied and proud of him. Besides, there are worse sins than pride. Ask Hank. There's a special place in hell for don't men Don't you say that. Mom, are you done in the kitchen? You left the burners on again. Lizzie's argument that follows is with Maggie, but Tom hears her and responds. Don't you say that! No, really. Mom, that's the third time I've come over here and found the stove on, nothing cooking. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. It's just dangerous, Mom, that's all. Maggie gets up, moves to Tom, and looks right at him. He doesn't notice, of course, because he doesn't see her. Gosh, he looks just like his father. Do you ever mix him up? 
Sometimes I have to look twice. Look three times if you have to. Just be sure to shut the burners off. Hank was thinner. Thomas likes my homemade bread. I sure do. Tom sits down in Maggie's chair at the same time Maggie is trying to sit. Maggie is visibly offended and huffy. Tom's attention is on the casserole on the table. Mmm, this looks good, Mom. Smells a little burnt. Can you beat that? Thomas, please don't be so rude. Forget it, Lizzie. What? It doesn't matter. It does matter. Oh, sorry, a prayer, of course. Bless us, O Lord, in these thy gifts which we are about to receive from thy bounty through Christ our Lord. Amen. Jesus Christ! Maggie vanishes. Now you've gone and done it. She's left. Who? Who do you think? I have no idea. Maggie! Maggie who? Maggie? My sister, of course. Aunt Maggie? Yes, Aunt Maggie. How could you be so rude? What were you thinking? What are you talking about, Mom? Aunt Maggie's been gone for a long time. She died 12 years ago, Mom. What? What? You don't know what you're saying. She was right here just a moment ago. We always have lunch together on Wednesdays. You're sitting in her chair. Oh, you awful, awful boy. How could you? Mom. How could you? Mom. Mom, listen. How could you say that? Maggie died, Mom. She had cancer. Remember? No, you're wrong. You're wrong. She was right here just a minute ago. Mom, Mom, listen to me. You took care of her. She died right in this house. She had cancer. Maggie and I were having lunch and a nice visit until you came and ruined everything. I said her funeral mass. Don't you remember? No, you didn't. This is crazy talk. Stop it now or I'm going to call a doctor and get some of that medicine to calm you down to bring you back to reality. This is impossible. Just as Tom storms out of the house, Maggie reappears, putting her hands onto Lizzie's shoulders to comfort her. He said I'm crazy. Oh, Lizzie, you're not crazy. It's just that your brain is different now. Tom doesn't understand what's happening to you. He thinks that reminding you about things or reasoning will help, but it won't. But you're okay, Lizzie. I'm here now. You're here. Yes, Lizzie. In your reality, I'm here. I'm not crazy. Not at all, Lizzie. You're not at all crazy. But your world has taken a mysterious turn. And we all need to understand how it is for you now. So look around, Lizzie dear. Tell me, what do you see and hear? What do you know to be true? What is reality for you? In my world, colors are bright. Walking around, I'm enchanted by light. Oh, flowers are so pretty. I watch them grow. But I don't always know where to go. This is the world I see. This is my reality. Oh, yes. What else, Lizzie, dear? What else is true? What else is reality for you? 
The people at church and my neighbors too, they smile and greet me so kindly, but I don't remember their names and I don't know what to do. I know Tom, he's my son, he yells at me, it's no fun. I have a daughter, I forget her name, nothing seems to be the same. I'm afraid, I don't understand, I need someone to hold my hand. I'll hold your hand, Lizzie, while you tell me more. What else is true? What else is reality for you? I want to show you there are things I can still do. I can clean the house and wash dishes and snap beans and give kisses. I can dance and play cards. I can pray. This is the world to me. This is my reality. What a world, dear sister. So much is new. Those who love you will need to learn all about the world you see, all about your reality. This, This is, is the world, world I see. This, This is, is your reality. reality. It must be hard, Lizzie, to cope with these changes. It is, and for Tom, too. The doctor said I probably have Alzheimer's. Oh. He said it would get worse. I don't really know what that means. Or maybe I did know once. Oh, Maggie, I get so confused sometimes. Act 1, Scene 2 Two months later, on a rainy September day, Eva is sitting at an empty table in a cafe in Rockford, Illinois, a city halfway between where Tom lives and where Eva lives. Tom enters in a nervous rush, paper grocery bag in hand. His posture is slouched, his demeanor appears somewhat defeated. He pauses at the table, looking at Eva. The energy between them is tense. Hello, Genevieve. Please don't call me that. It's Eva. You know I'm going by Eva. I have been for years, Tom. Sorry, really. It's a habit. Eva, I brought you some zucchini. Tom sits down at the table. Zucchini. You brought me zucchini. I didn't know what to bring a sister I haven't seen more than a handful of times since you were in high school. Zucchini is fine. Good, good. So, what is so urgently important about Mom that you couldn't talk to me about it on the phone? Yes. Thank you for coming. I know it was a drive for you from Chicago to get here. So, I'm here. I've got zucchini. What is it? Well, things are getting really hard with Mom, and I need to ask you for your help. Actually, Mom and I need your help. Seriously? You and Mom are asking for help from me? You need me? Isn't that just a perfect irony? You don't have to be hostile about it. I'm being humble here. So, 
Let me ask you, Tom. Where were you and Mom when I was a vulnerable, pregnant, terrified 17-year-old girl and needed your help? Desperately needed your help. Where were you? Don't you remember? I was at seminary. Right. Seminary. Two hours away. It's not like you were deployed overseas in the military or on a space mission, for God's sake. You could have helped me. Dad was a cruel, heartless man. You don't just throw people away, especially your own child or your grandchild. You just don't do that. What kind of Christian love is that, Tom? You and your God abandoned me. Dad was human, Eva, and he had his mind made up. There was nothing I could do. Besides, Mom was there. Mom. At the time, I thought she should have divorced him to protect me. We don't do that, Eva. Oh, I know. I get it. Catholic doctrine. And those were different times. Eventually, I came to understand that Mom was in a hard situation, facing impossible choices. She was always powerless against Dad's control. But you... You were nearly a priest. You were the one person he might have listened to. And you stayed silent and away. And now you need my help? <laughs> I can't believe this. I'm out of here. Please, Eva. Don't go. Please listen. Really, it's Mom who needs you. You seem to be more forgiving toward her than you are toward me. At least you've stayed in touch with her. Mm. It was the other way around, actually. No matter how angry I was at her, and no matter what Dad said to her, and only God knows the horrible things he said about me, Mom stayed in contact with me. I was surprised, actually. During the following dialogue, lights come up on Lizzie, who is at home. She enters from the kitchen with scissors and stands by the dining room table, which is covered with papers and books. She starts cutting. First, coupons out of the newspaper. Then she cuts up pages of a book. Then she moves around the room and cuts all the leaves off a plant. By the end of the scene, Lizzie has taken off her apron and is cutting that into pieces. Well, she's in a bad way now. You saw how confused she was last summer when I brought her to visit you. She was very sweet in all her confusion. I have to admit, my heart melted a little. I was grateful that you brought her. Since then, she's been writing to me regularly. Her letters are confused, though, and on this teeny tiny stationery. But they're quite endearing. I call sometimes, and we talk She's on the She's worse phone. now. She seemed to be getting worse every day. She misplaces things and then thinks people are stealing from her. I might have to shut off the gas before she sets the house on fire. She keeps forgetting to turn the stove burners off. And then she has some random conversations with Aunt Maggie. I haven't officially moved in with her, but I stay there most nights. It's really getting stressful. Maybe you'll have to move her to a memory care unit. How would that look? What would people think? Is that important? It is to her. And? 
Okay, to me too. I'm supposed to be able to care for people. What would my parish think if I can't even take care of my own mother? Well, I'm sure they'd understand. But I don't understand what her getting worse and what your parish thinks has to do with me. Oh, I've been chosen to attend a conference that's taking place in Rome in a couple of months. I'll be gone for two weeks. I really want to go. I need to go. But I can't leave Mom alone. So, hire a sitter. She won't hear of it. She gets violent every time I mention it. She even hit me once. She said she wants you. I want my girl, is what she said. Please do this, Geneva. You know, Tom, I'm not very hungry. This little trip into the past and hearing all about your needs has made me feel quite sick. I think I'll be going now. Eva, please. I'll think about it, Tom, and I'll let you know. Eva exits the cafe, leaving the zucchini behind. Tom remains at the table, defeated and discouraged. Act 1, Scene 3. Tom is in church, alone, on his knees, holding a rosary. The sun, shining through stained glass windows, casts shadows of color around the space. My God, if you can hear me through this silence, why have you given me this cup of poison that slowly drains? I have devoted my life to you. But what should I do? Believe this disease is part of your plan? No! I don't understand. Where are you now? Can you even hear me? I need you as she needs me. But why ask you for help? You aren't the one who's here. Silence from you, and soon, silence from her. She's not the same, forgetting names, drifting away. Both of you slipping into the silence beneath clouds of gray. I don't want to be alone. All I can do is pray. I'll be the one to catch her when she falls. Wondering if you notice me at all. This isn't fair. I don't know what to do. Going to the motions, praying to this silence. Where are you? Act 1, Scene 4. It's November, a Saturday morning in Lizzie's house. Tom enters and sees Lizzie staring into the mirror, combing her hair. Mom? Who? Who? It's me, Mom. Right. I knew that. 
Oh, good. You scared me there for a minute. Who? Who is that? Who? Who is who? In that that thing, that that window glass thing. The mirror. Yes, the thing glass. My mother. Your mother. In there. There. She doesn't. She doesn't come out. You think your mother is in there in the mirror? Well, I don't know who it is, but she looks like my mother. Mom, why don't you sit down now? Tom leads Lizzie to the dining room table. He goes into the kitchen, comes back with two glasses of water, and sits at the table with his mom. I was down at the post office today, and I saw that nice man. Oh, what's his name? What nice man? Oh, you know that nice man who shoveled my walk after Hank died, when it snowed. You mean Eldon Miller? Eldon Miller. Yeah, wasn't it Eldon Miller who shoveled your walk after Dad died? Oh yes, yes. I saw him at the post office today. What a nice man! Yes, he is. Who is what? Eldon Miller. He's a nice man. Yes. You know, I saw him at the post office today. What about him? Nothing. He's a nice man. Isn't he? He shoveled my walk after Hank died. I know. Thomas, you don't need to get testy. You're the one who brought him up. Mom, I wonder about you sometimes. Me? Yes, you. I don't think you have any idea how much I worry about you. Why would you worry about me? You're too trusting. You just can't trust folks nowadays. What are you talking about? Times have changed. It's not safe. There's a lady who comes here with food. I know. Violet James from Meals on Wheels. I ordered that for you. Maybe that's what she calls herself. If that's her real name, I don't care what her name is. She's a thief. Vi, Vi James, Mom, she's a nice lady. You've known her for years. See, she's got you fooled, but she doesn't fool me. Not one bit. She's robbing me blind. No, Mom, I'm sure that's not true. She is. She is. She brings that plate of hog slop into the kitchen, and when she thinks I'm not looking, she's helping herself, filling her oh, what do you call it? Thing with the straps, with with the grocery things. Shopping bag. Yes, shopping bag. Filling the gro- shopping bag with my stuff right under my nose, my pearls. And my purse and my wallet. She did. When she thought I wasn't looking, she took it all. Calm down, Mom. Your pearls are around your neck. Here's your purse, and look, here's your wallet inside, cash and all, Mom. That's it. You're working with her. Lizzie pushes Tom and grabs her purse. She swings at him with the purse. He ducks. Just then, Eva enters with her suitcase. Tom, Mom. What's happening here? Eva, you're here. My girl, my girl. Act one, scene five, in Lizzie's dining room after lunch the same day. Tom is sitting at the table as Eva enters. Thanks for making lunch for me, Tom. You're welcome. So you're leaving for Rome tomorrow afternoon around five. Yes, it will be a hectic morning for me. 
You'll bring Mom to the 11 o'clock Mass, right? I will. She's asleep now. Does she usually take a nap in the afternoon? I guess. You guess? I'm going to be looking for some guidance from you here. I've never taken care of someone with Alzheimer's before. Oh, of course. I've written some things down for you. Tom hands Eva a folded piece of paper. She opens it, reads it, and is alarmed. Wait, hold on, Tom. What is this? If you want to get her to obey... Obey? Really? You'll need to raise your voice and be very stern with her? If this doesn't work, threaten to take her to the mental hospital? Or give her the antipsychotic medication from her doctor to calm her down? What is this, Tom? Mom's not mentally ill. She's not psychotic. It's what works, Eva. I told you she was getting worse. She's angry and combative and, yes, disobedient. So I've written down what to do when she gets that way. I gotta go. Eva calls out after Tom as he rushes from the room and out of the house. No, Tom, no. There has to be a better way. There has to be a better way. There has to be. Act 1, Scene 6. Lizzie's home after Mass the next day. Lizzie and Eva are seated at the dining room table playing cribbage. Lizzie is very engaged with her cards and doesn't look up when Tom enters. Hi, ladies. I'm about ready to leave, and I wanted to say goodbye. Mom, could you go into the bedroom and get the card we made for Tom? Right. Your sermon today, Tom. It was hard to follow. What in the world were you talking about? What were you trying to say to people? You know, I'm not sure. I'm not really sure about anything anymore. Sometimes it feels like I'm just stringing together a bunch of words that somebody else told me to say. That's exactly how it sounded, Tom. Words that don't really mean anything to me. Probably they don't even mean anything to anybody. Did my words mean anything to you, Eva? Nope, they did not. I'm lost, Eva. This whole thing with Mom, I'm lost. Lizzie enters from the bedroom and gives the card to Tom. For you to take to Rome. Thanks, Mom. Goodbye. Thank you, Eva. This means a lot. You're welcome, Tom. Have a good trip. I hope you get found. Tom begins to walk away. He stops, turns, and waves to Lizzie. Let's keep playing our cribbage game, Mom. It's my deal. Tom is going to Rome. I know. He's going to be a priest. Oh? Right. He's going to be a priest. That's so good. You're very good at this game. Well, thank you. Who taught you to play? Um, you did? I was a little girl when you taught me. (laughs) No, I didn't. Sure you did. Stop it! Stop it! I did not teach you to play! Okay, okay, you didn't. It's your lead. Nine. Fifteen for two. No, really, who taught you to play? My mother did? I didn't know Aunt Stella knew how to play cribbage. Hmm, Aunt Stella, my mother, 
Oh, you must think I'm your cousin, Eileen. Right. Okay, then. Yes, my mother was a champion cribbage player. And she was a very good cook, too. That she was. What did she make that you liked the best? Cherry pie. Mmm. I agree. My mom made the best cherry pies. You make really good pies, too. That's so nice of you to say. You're very kind. Will you stay and take care of me? I will. I'll be here for a while now. And then I'll do my best to come back to be with you as soon as I can. Do you know my granddaughter? What? I have a granddaughter. Her name is Hope. I have a picture in my purse. Do you know her? I do. Will you tell me about her? I will, Mom. I'll tell you everything I know. Act 1, Scene 7. It's May. Lizzie is now living in a memory care center. The lights come up in the group activity room. The chicken dance is happening. Nursing assistant Danny is leading the dance activity. Everyone is participating, dancing and singing. Lizzie is doing the chicken dance with everybody. Lyle, a resident, is dancing with a baby doll. During the dance, Alma, another resident, wanders away. Nurse Kathy enters, writing on a clipboard. She looks stern and official. Mid-dance, Tom enters. What is this? It's the chicken dance. Join us, Father Tom? No, of course not. Who brought my mother in here? Wanna dance? Absolutely not. I brought her. She said she wanted to come and dance. Lizzie loves to dance, don't you, Lizzie? Uh Uh-huh. Dance! This is not dancing. This is ridiculous. Who's in charge here? This is not appropriate for these people. It's fun, really, and it gets everyone up and moving. That's so good for them. She can walk outside for exercise. She doesn't need to participate in something so demeaning. Demeaning? This is so beneath her, to be treated like a child. What do you mean? I'm taking her back to her room. Oh, wow. Okay. Do you need help? I can help you. No, we're fine. I can handle it. Excuse me, Father. Uh, Yes, nurse? Could you give us your blessings before you go? Uh, Yes, of course. Tom turns to the group and raises his arms. The residents also raise their arms in response. Lizzie raises her arms and flaps her chicken wings. May the blessing of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. 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 I don't want to be a chicken. Tom takes Lizzie by the arm and they exit. Alma re-enters with her hands full of nameplates. Hey, Alma, what you got there? All names. She proudly takes them to Danny and holds them out to her. Kathy swoops over to them and snatches the nameplates. What is this? All names. Oh, no. You took all the nameplates off the residence rooms? Alma, bad girl. Now I have to put them all back. I have to go now. Right now. I'm late for a meeting downstairs. 
Lyle, don't be ridiculous. This is a one-story building. There is no downstairs. What do you know? What I know is that you can't leave and there is no meeting for you to go to. Come on, Alma. Everyone, let's cheer each other up. We can play ball. Can I call my mom? I want to let her know I'll be late. Come here, Alma. Sit by me. Kathy is calling your mom right now to let her know you're having lunch here with us. And not to worry. Okay, thank you so much. Of course there is a meeting. I'm going to be late, and it will be that horrible woman's fault. Is my graduate student here yet? He's going to grade all these physics exams. I don't really have time for this. Your graduate student isn't here yet, Lyle. And since I can't seem to get you all to play ball, how about if we pass the time waiting for him with some music? We love music. It always makes us feel better, right? I found this song that reminds me of all of you. How about if we listen and sing? It's a joy to get to know you. It's a joy to get to know you. And I really am liking to share in your world. When your love is deep and quiet, I can hear it so clearly. It's calling forever to share in your world. It's a joy to get to know you. It's a joy to get to know you. And I really am liking to share in your world. When your love is deep and quiet, I can hear it so clearly. It's calling forever to share in your world. Act 2, Scene 1. It's July. A year has passed since we first met Lizzie and her family. The scene opens in Lizzie's room. She is alone when Danny enters carrying a baby doll. Here you are, Lizzie. Here's your baby. Pretty baby. My baby. Yeah, she's a pretty one. Alma came in and got her. She's gathered up all the babies. But I got your baby back for you, Lizzie, so don't you worry. I'll get you some nice cold water now. I'll be back in one minute. Minute. My baby. My baby. Hello, room 113? Anybody home? You! You! It's you! Yes, it's me, Mom. I came back. I came to take care of you. My girl. Hello. I'm Danielle, one of Lizzie's primary CNAs. Everyone here calls me Danny. Here's your water, Lizzie. Well, hi, Danny. I'm Eva, Lizzie's daughter. Welcome. It's wonderful to meet you. I didn't know Lizzie had a daughter. I haven't seen you here before, have I? Ah, uh, no. I've been in the process of relocating from Chicago. My brother brought Mom here after he sold her house. Tom. Tom? Father Tom? Yes, do you know him? Sure. He comes to visit Lizzie. On Wednesdays, I think. Once a week? That's it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, 
I'm sure he does the best he can. Oh, no, I didn't mean it like that. It's just I got the impression oh, he was no coming. need to explain. Lizzie is attempting to give her baby a drink of water from the cup. Danny takes the water glass from Lizzie and finds the baby's bottle on the dresser. Here, Lizzie, let's make the baby a bottle. Mom? Hi. Mom, I came back to be with you. Do you understand? If you want to get her attention, get right in front of her and make eye contact. That's right. Once you've got her eyes, she's with you. Mom? Mom? Maggie needs that. Could you give it? You wouldn't think so, of course. Of course not. He wasn't like that. He would never. <laughs> they didn't like it when we said, when we went there. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. Thank you so much. Right? What is she talking about? I'm not sure. She's in a different world sometimes. You can join her there if you like. May I hold your baby? You'll be careful, won't you? Be careful. She's little, yes. She's a nice baby. Right. Nice baby. Doesn't cry. I had a baby doll like this once. You gave it. I mean, my mother gave it to me. Do you remember that? Hold her head up. Like that. Mags will ask me if you took care. Take care, young lady. Mags? Maggie? Aunt Maggie? You're lucky. Hank said you could stay for dinner. He doesn't like company. You can help me if you're a good girl, but you have to watch your tongue around Hank. You know how he is. Mom, Hank is gone. He'll be back. No, I mean, Dad is dead. Dad, Hank, died 25 years ago. What? What are you talking about? He's just gone over to Meg's and Jimmy's for a minute. He'll be right back. They're working on Maggie's car. No, Mom. Aunt Maggie's gone. Maggie's dead, too. Thirteen years now. Don't be so fresh. What? What are you saying? How dare you say that? Oh, you mean girl. Give me that baby. Now. You say things like that. You can't hold her. Slap you. Well, that's a surprise. My mom was never one to get angry or to cry. Her memories are disappearing, and her thoughts might be jumbled, but she still has a lot of emotions. She doesn't have the ability any longer to process feelings or to calm herself, though. So if she's upset, we need to soothe and comfort her. But what? What did I do? I was just trying to tell her the truth. What's really happened? In her world, those things haven't happened. So, am I supposed to lie to her? They're not technically lies. We call them therapeutic fiblets. Fiblets? Therapeutic. Her reality is different from ours. The only way to connect with her is for us to join into her reality. Hey, Lizzie. Hank just called. He's bringing hamburgers for lunch. I love hamburgers. With pickles. 
Join her in her reality. Wow. Tell me more, please. I... I actually wrote a song about this very thing. I could sing it for you. Oh, yes. Do. Please do. Okay. Let me grab my guitar. I'll be right back. Danny's going to sing for us, Mom. Sing! Here she is, Mom, with her guitar. Here's a copy of the sheet music, Eva. Would you like to sing the chorus with me? Sure. I'm going to sing with Danny, Mom. Sing! Here goes. Rejoy by joining in her world. Affirm, accept what they think is real. No. speak to them this is what I hear no don't no you're wrong those things don't belong no you can't that wasn't me that's not yours let it be no is heartbreaking when yes is what they need to hear bring joy by joining in says something that's untrue I have to go to work don't reply you have nothing to do affirm oh yes your work is important and let me walk with you when one says something out of this world I'm from another planet don't deny their statements worth except oh yes you've traveled far And I welcome you to Earth When one makes accusations They've stolen my pearls Don't contradict with facts Firm and support Oh yes, I see you're upset I would be too And I'll get your pearls back for you Bring joy by joining in their How did you learn all this? From CNA training? Not really, but the administrator here is doing some great staff training. I actually learned from my grandma. She had Alzheimer's. That's how I started coming here. My mom and I were here a lot, and we felt like real care partners with the staff. I was really young at first, but my grandma lived here for a lot of years, and I got to know all the residents. I really fell in love with them and had fun with them. It's hard for lots of families, I know. But our goal for Grandma's care was simple. We wanted her to have more good days than bad ones. That's all. So we learned how to live in her moment. 
be with her wherever she was. Believe it or not, it was mostly a fun ride, even for Grandma and my mom. Hmm. Be with her wherever she is. That's right. Live in the moment. Some people spend their whole lives trying to learn to do just that. And people with Alzheimer's do it naturally. I'll try to remember that. When I got old enough, I became a CNA. And now I'm working here while I'm in nursing school. What about you, Eva? What do you do? I'm an artist, and I write about art, freelance. I do some teaching, too. That's one reason it took me so long to move here. Contracts, you know. An artist? Awesome. I'll bet you get your artist genes from your mom. She just loves bright colors and soft things and flowers. Wow. I... I don't know what to say. You seem to know her and to understand her so well. I do try. It's lunchtime. Hamburgers, Lizzie. Eva, would you like to come with us to the dining room? Sure. Okay. Come on, Mom. It's time for lunch. Let's go eat. Mom, come on. Eat. Let's go. Time to go eat. My, my. Should I pick her up? No. She can get up. She just needs some cueing. Hi, Lizzie. Put your hands on the arms of the chair. Now push yourself up with your legs and your hands. Watching Danny and following her instructions, Lizzie slowly stands up from her chair. Oh, she has to relearn how to get up? It's not about relearning, exactly. She does have abilities that she can still access. You might have to remind her how to do things, but she can do them. And the more she uses those abilities, the longer she'll keep them. Shall we go? Let's go! Act 2, Scene 2. Another day, in the activity room. Danny is playing a game with some of the residents. Nurse Kathy is taking Lyle's pulse, looking at her watch. What time is it? It's about 10.15, Lyle. Why? I don't want to be late for my office hours. Two of my physics advisees are coming in this morning. Look, I have 23 papers to grade before tomorrow. Do you mind if we cut this short? Just take these pills, Lyle. That's what it's time for. Lyle holds the pills for a while, considering them. Then suddenly he flings them across the room. Kathy scowls and immediately writes something on her clipboard. That was bad, Lau. You have to take your pills. I am late for a meeting downstairs. I have to go now. Right now. How many times do I have to tell you? This is a one-story building. There is no downstairs. There is no meeting. If they start the meeting without me, it'll be because of you. This is unbelievable. Oh, Lyle, your meeting was postponed. I was supposed to give you the message, but I completely forgot. I'm so sorry. Postponed? You should have told me. I was so worried. Danny, brilliant. Now why didn't I think of that? You would have, eventually. He keeps giving us chances to get it right. Hey, everyone, it's time for music. I brought my guitar, so let's gather around and sing some songs. Let's see. What should we sing first? I need to get to a meeting. Downstairs. Right now. I have to go. 
Now! Oh, Lau, your meeting was postponed. What? Who told you that? I'm in charge of the meeting, and I didn't postpone it. I'll get to the bottom of this, young lady. Lyle storms out of the activity room. Kathy looks at Danny, stunned. Alma appears with all the nameplates from the rooms, again. She hands them to Danny. What's this, Alma? All names. I'll say. What a great job. I think you did get them all. Come with me, Alma. Let's go for a walk. We'll put these back on the rooms. You can help me figure out which ones go where. Act 2, Scene 3. Lizzie's Room. There are flowers in a vase prominently displayed on a table next to her chair. Tom is visiting. He's wearing his last rites bag around his neck, as he does every time he visits Lizzie in the care center. Eva enters. Hi, Tom. Good morning, Mom. You're looking lovely this morning. Vivian James came in this morning and did her hair. Isn't that nice? I could do that for you sometime, Mom, if you'd like. Not to bother, Eva. I've got it covered. It's not a bother, Tom. Juice! We're just enjoying a little orange juice. Would you like some? Hmm. Don't mind if I do. Oh, my. What lovely flowers. Thank you. I picked them from the garden. No, Mom. You didn't pick them. I brought them for you. I picked them myself from my garden. No, Mom. You didn't. I did! I stopped by the gift shop at the hospital this morning and picked them out for you. I hope you like them. Tom, does it really matter? I picked. I did. Don't you lie to me. Lie! Mom, I'm not lying. Tom, don't. I picked. Picked. Me. I did. Mom, Mom, listen to me. Lizzie throws the flowers at Tom. He grabs Lizzie by the arms. Mom, stop it. Liar, liar, go to hell. You go to hell, you liar. I picked those flowers. Why would you lie? It's the same thing all the time. You come in here, you lie. Tom, let her go. Just let her. There's no stopping her when she gets like this. Push the call button. No! Tom pushes the call button. Lizzie swats at him as he tries to restrain her. Mom, stop it. Stop now. I have a granddaughter. My sister is alive. It's not 20-something. It's 1975. Intruders, both of you. Playing tricks on me. You think I'm crazy? But you're the fools. Setting your rules. Liar, liar. Go away. You go away. What's going on in here? Nurse Kathy, thank you for coming so quickly. Is there some trouble? Are you causing trouble again, Lizzie? No, she's just upset. Yes, yes, we're having trouble. Would you like for me to give her an injection? Yes, please. An injection? For what? It'll calm her down. Yes, please. Please give her the injection. No, Tom. No. You don't know how bad she gets, Eva. This will calm her down, I promise. Kathy, no. Don't give her that shot. Please don't. 
She doesn't need it. We can calm her down. Eva, you haven't been here. You haven't seen her like this. You don't know how bad it can get. Father Tom? Yes, the shot, please. As you wish, Father. Nurse Kathy administers the injection, and slowly Lizzie is calmed. She slumps, defeated, into her chair. Liar, liar, go away, go away. Who are you, anyway? Oh, God. Oh, my God. There is a better way. In slow motion, Tom and Eva move into the shadowy background of Lizzie's room, and they continue arguing silently. Kathy steps away from Lizzie and writes on her clipboard. What happens next could be a fantasy induced by the drugs. Or is it a dream? Or Lizzie's Alzheimer's reality? Lizzie slowly stands, walks to her closet, and opens the door. Maggie enters Lizzie's room through the closet. Maggie, I'm so glad you're here. Help me. What's the matter, Lizzie? They're trying to kill me. Don't worry. I'm here. I'll keep you safe. I don't know who these people are. They come in here and do all kinds of things to me. That one named Eva, she calls me mom. Tell her I'm Lizzie. I'm Lizzie! And that one is boring, even if he is handsome. But that one, writing? She tried to undress me! She's trying to help you take a bath. I don't need a bath. I need to get out of here. Where do you want to go? Home. I want to go home. Maggie and Lizzie embrace. Then Maggie helps Lizzie back to her chair, where she remains asleep. Kathy exits, and Tom and Eva move out of the shadows. Why did you come, Eva? Why are you here? You never took an interest in Mom. I can't believe you moved here, especially now. She doesn't even remember who we are. But I remember who she is, Tom. Right. She's the mother who sacrificed you to hold her marriage together. The mother who abandoned you. If you're here to resolve those issues, forget it. She's not capable. I'm here because this is mom's time of greatest need. She has lots of needs, that for sure. But even so, she wouldn't want you to change your life for her. She didn't want to be a burden to us, you know. What do you think mom would say if she knew I was happy to be here with her? Happy to be taking care of her. Sure thing. Happy to be here in this godforsaken nursing home. Who are you kidding? I came, Tom, because of that kind of attitude. Mom needs me because I believe that her life still has value. We can still have a meaningful relationship. Well, she's never going to apologize to you now. I don't need an apology from her. She's already told me in her own way that I mean a lot to her. It seems like we've forgiven each other for the past, and we have a new relationship now, in the present. Her? You've forgiven her? And you won't forgive me? Well, you've never even acknowledged my pain, Tom. 
and you've never apologized for your part. Do you deserve my forgiveness? But her. She was the one, not me. Really, Tom? Dad was the one. But neither of you even tried to help me. So since when have you forgiven her? Well, I've recently realized... Well, that was quick and easy. You know, it did seem that way at first. And I was totally surprised when I felt forgiveness for her. It was this moment of what you would probably call grace. But trust me, there was nothing quick or easy about it. Nothing. Human forgiveness seems to be a very complex thing, Tom. So tell me, what do you know about forgiveness, Eva? That's really my area. When I was here with Mom, while you were in Rome, we connected, Tom, deeply, and I knew that we still loved and needed each other, regardless of the past. I knew right then that I would come and take care of her, like she asked me to. All the hard and painful healing work I've done over the years made it possible for me to say yes to her. Even though I'm here, she asked you to come? She did. Act 2, Scene 4 It's early October in the garden of the care center. 
Danny is there, sitting in the sunshine with Alma and Lyle. Lizzie and Eva enter, holding hands and walking slowly. Oh, this is a beautiful fall day. Let's walk over there, Lizzie Mom, and look at the pansies, your favorite flowers. They are hardy flowers, still blooming in October. Good morning, Lizzie and Eva. Isn't this sunshine great? Ooh, a wee bit chilly, though. Good morning, Danny. Hi, Alma. Hi, Lyle. You might be chilly, Alma. It's nice in the sun, but there's a cool breeze. Oh, here comes Kathy, so I'll go inside and get your sweater. I'll be right back. Kathy, could you keep an eye on Alma and Lyle for a minute? Alma needs her sweater. As Danny leaves the garden, Alma shouts after her. You can't have him. Let's sit here, Lizzie Mom, by Alma. Hi, Lizzie. I'm going to take your pulse and blood pressure. Don't stay out here too long, okay? It will be time for lunch soon. As Kathy walks by Alma, she shouts again. You can't have him. Alma turns to Lyle and shouts at him. You can't have him. The universe is like an atomic nucleus. It's not completely stable. It has a half-life. It will decay. If you look at it, it looks perfectly stable. There's nothing happening. There's nothing happening. And then, boom! Suddenly, there's an alpha particle coming out of it. Except that alpha particle is another universe. Amazing. You know, I need to get to a meeting downstairs. Now! I have to go right now! Oh, Lyle, if I let you leave here, I'll get fired. <laughs> well, good luck with that, young lady. I've been trying to get fired from this place for 40 years. Well, how about that? Yeah. It seems like he maybe felt some solidarity with your situation. And at least he's not mad at you like before. That's good. I'll say. Danny is coming back. Lau, you can come with me. It's time for your meds. Where am I? I don't know where I am. Why am I here? I don't know why I'm here. You can't have him. Alma shouts again at Nurse Kathy's back as she leaves, and then she turns to Eva, shaking her fists. You can't have him. I mean it. I can't have him. Well, why not? Because we took vows. Vows? Oh, yes. Vows. I get it. You're right, Alma. I can't have him because he still loves you. I was wrong, and I'm very sorry. Well, that's very big of you. Alma looks directly at Eva. She calms down. Her hands and arms relax into her lap. Wow. Thank you, Alma. Thank you. Really. Danny, who was watching this interaction from the entrance to the garden, enters with Alma's sweater. Excellent. Good job, Eva. It just came to me. A moment of inspiration, I guess. Thank you for helping me understand how to respond. You're welcome. You know, I suddenly feel forgiven for 
all the terrible things I've ever done, actually. This was amazing. Alma's amazing. Yeah, I know. I'm constantly blown away by how often people with Alzheimer's can interact with us in really profound ways. I'm getting what you mean. Let's go now, Alma. It's almost lunchtime. Are you and Lizzie coming, Eva? We'll be there soon. We want to soak up every ray of sunshine that we can. Danny and Alma exit. Eva gathers up some colorful fall leaves from the ground and gives them to Lizzie to look at and hold. The leaves are beautiful, aren't they, Lizzie, Mom? You're really beautiful, too, Mom. How could anyone ever tell you You were anything less than beautiful How could anyone ever tell you You were less than whole How could anyone fail to notice That your loving is a miracle How deeply you're connected to my soul Beautiful. Leaves. They try so hard at the end. Act 2, Scene 5. Another day, in Lizzie's room. She is opening and closing her closet door, wandering around, returning to the door and opening, closing it again. She is looking for something. It's not clear what. Tom and Eva are in mid-discussion about Lizzie. It wouldn't matter anyway. She can't do anything for herself now. Actually, she can do quite a lot. Oh, she can't drive. She can't read. She can't play cards. She can't hold a coherent conversation. She doesn't know who she is or who we are or where she is or even where the bathroom is for the love of God. You weren't here, Eva. You don't know what it was like. I can imagine. No, you can't. You can't imagine what it was like to watch this woman slowly lose herself, to go crazy. She hasn't lost herself, and she's not crazy, Tom. Our once-competent mother is now reduced to doing humiliating things like the chicken dance. Make her stop doing that with the closet. You stop. Stop talking about Mom like that. Come on, Lizzie Mom. Time to sit down. Eva helps Lizzie to her chair, giving her a doll to hold and a book to look at. She's embarrassing herself by demonstrating just how useless her life has become. Tom! Is that really what you think? She's become useless? You do. Look at you. You've got this bag with you whenever you visit. Isn't that your last rights bag? Oh my god. You think she'd be better off dead. What is going on with you? Well, I... I didn't really want to come here and watch my mother die like this in slow motion. But I can't not be here with her. She needs me. I'm here, Eva. She doesn't need you. You're close by, but you're not really here. You're not getting who she is now or how to connect with her. Oh, and you do? I do. I get that we have to learn how to meet her in her world because she can't come to us. She can't come to us. 
I get that she needs an advocate to speak up for her and a companion to be with her at activities so she can fully participate. I'm here with her every day, helping her give and receive love. She can still do that, Tom. And tell me, what exactly in life is more important than that? Oh, God. This is hard. No doubt about that. But it makes me so happy to see Mom when she's smiling, when she's doing well, when she's having a good day. And it makes me happy to take care of her when she's not doing so well. I feel really comforted every time I see her. That's healing, Tom. It feels like some kind of prayer. Being with her, brushing her hair, helping her with meals, singing to her, brings me such joy. I'm going to miss that when she's gone. So don't even try to tell me that she's useless. I don't. I can't. All I see is everything she has lost. Everything she used to be. It's so hard to see past that. What I see is a shell of a woman who used to be our mother. Then keep looking. Look until you can see what's really there. What's there? What's there? In art school, there's this drawing exercise that is almost universally dreaded, but universally necessary. It forces you to see something in new ways because you have to draw it 100 times. 100 times, no shortcuts. When I did it, I chose a white enamel kitchen pot, and I almost immediately regretted doing that. After about five drawings, I thought I had exhausted all possibilities. But I kept going. I had to. That little white pot had important things to teach me. Like what? A hundred shades of white? Angles and perspectives? Perspectives, yes, but not just angles, not just visual. I learned that in life, we must come very close and stay long enough to see what's really there. I wish I could see what you see. I want to see, but I'm afraid and angry, and I hate that. You have to try. I'm trying, but how were you able to see? When Dad kicked you out, she didn't lift a finger to stop him. He said you were dead to us, that we were never again to speak your name in his house. He made the rules, and she let him. <laughs> Took a lot of therapy, Tom. Seriously, though. I was deeply wounded, and I needed to heal somehow, or else live the rest of my life in shame and despair. I'm so sorry, Eva. You've been right all along. I should have at least tried to do something to make Dad see you and help you instead of casting you out of our family in my life. I'm so sorry. It was really terrible then, but I wouldn't be me without everything that has happened in my life. You're wise, Eva. Thanks for that, Tom. Wisdom born of pain, as they say. I had a lot to deal with, and it was all so painful. I was young and reckless when Dad kicked me out. I made a lot of mistakes. I wanted to keep the baby, but I couldn't have raised a child by myself. 
and it wasn't an option to move home after I disgraced the family by getting pregnant. So I had to give the baby up for adoption. For all those years, no one has ever talked about it. I, um, I've been wanting to ask you something. Tom pulls out his wallet and takes out a small, worn, black-and-white photograph. This picture has your name written on the back, Eva. But I know it's not a picture of you. I don't know who this is. Is it? Yes, it's my baby. It's the picture they took in the hospital. I didn't even get to hold her. I sent Mom this picture after she was born. She? Yes, a girl. My baby girl. Where did you find this? It was in Mom's purse. I found it when we moved her into the nursing home. She kept it all this time. She told me she had it. I didn't believe her. Well, she did. She's amazing. You're amazing, Lizzie Mom. Did you get to name the baby? I did. Hope. I named her Hope. Did you ever meet her? Do you know her? Yes. Yes. How is she? She's good. She's happy. She's a remarkable person. She reminds me a lot of you. Act 2, Scene 6. A few days later, when Tom enters Lizzie's room, he is dressed differently, less formal. He does not have his last rites bag. He is more energetic and trying to be present. Hi, Mom. I brought communion for you. I thought you might like communion. Lizzie does not respond. Tom tries to give her communion, and she reaches up and grabs his arm. She has a firm grip and doesn't let go. Here, Mom, let me get a chair and sit by you. (whistles) Mom, you can whistle. I remember when you used to whistle all the time when I was a kid. How about this? Camptown ladies, sing a song, do-da, do-da. Camptown racetrack, five miles long, oh, do-da day. Duda! Duda! Oh, Duda Day! During this joyful scene of whistling and singing, Nurse Kathy enters. Hello, Lizzie and Father Tom. Time for lunch? Time to go down the hall for lunch, Lizzie. Nurse Kathy tries to pull Lizzie up to a standing position. Lizzie resists. She does not want to go with her. Come on, Mom, it's time for lunch. You like lunch. Duda! Duda! Lizzie takes a swing at Nurse Kathy. Duda! Now stop that! No, Mom, don't hit. Stop! No! No hitting! No! Bad girl! Bad! Tom holds Lizzie's arms to keep her from hitting Nurse Kathy. Duda! She kicks at Nurse Kathy. Now that's enough. You cannot kick me. You want me to give her the shot, Father? No, no, we don't need to do that. Well, fine then. It's time for lunch, though. She has to have lunch. You'll have to manage to bring her down yourself. Or should I call Danny to help you? No, thank you. We'll have lunch in here today. Suit yourself. Kathy exits. It's okay. It's okay, Mom. You can eat in here. It's okay. Duda! 
Oh, do da, do da, oh, do da day. Danny brings the lunch in on a cart and puts it beside Lizzie's chair. So I hear you're going to dine in your room this fine day, Miss Lizzie. Excellent choice. Look what we have here hot roast beef sandwich, mashed potatoes and gravy, green beans, and the piece de la resistance, red jello. Do I need to feed her? No, her meat is ground, so Lizzie can feed herself. Give her the spoon and then tell her what to do with it. Oh, okay. Tom moves from his chair and crouches down in front of Lizzie. Take the spoon, Mom. She takes it from Tom's hand. Put it in the potatoes. Lift it up to your mouth. Good. Well, it looks like you have everything under control here. Call me if you need anything. Lizzie continues eating, slowly. Tom pulls up a chair and sits very close to his mom. Very close. Whoever thought it would come to this? I'm the one who's supposed to be strong. Give people hope. People come to me with their pain, with their grief. I'm supposed to know what to do. I don't know what to do, Mom. I don't know what to do. I can't pretend anymore. I miss you so much. As Tom weeps, he lays his head on his mother's shoulder. When he looks up at her, Lizzie tenderly feeds him a spoonful of potatoes. She reaches out, gently touching Tom's head. They make eye contact. Tom. Act 2, Scene 7 After lunch with his mom, Tom walks through the garden at the care center. In this garden, in this sunshine, your true light. Now I know how to see. She is still here with me. Just as she will always be. Oh God, she is still here with me. Through all the losses, through all the pain, the light of her spirit sustains. She is, she is your child. She is my mother, she is, she is. your child. She is my mother. She is. This moment with her was a gift, giving care to her as she did for me, being present with her, and knowing she still knows me. 
Now I can see with my heart that connections are possible. I feel every joy and every sorrow and give thanks for another tomorrow with her. She is, she is your child. She is my mother, she is, she is, she is your child, she is my mother, she is. Act 2, Scene 8 The next Sunday at Mass... Tom is giving the homily. His posture is upright. He is upbeat and engaged with the congregation. This morning in Luke's Gospel, we hear the familiar parable of the Good Samaritan. Since the Samaritans and the Israelites were enemies, having the words good and Samaritan in the same sentence was a shocking combination for early Christians. It invites what is called a reversal in thinking. Reversals in thinking have the potential to enlighten us if we allow our older worldview to shatter and if we accept the challenge to re-image how we might live. The concept of reversal has been in my mind lately because I've encountered one in my own life. When my mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, I thought her life was over. Many share this belief. Our society treats people with Alzheimer's the way we once treated people with leprosy. We ran away from them. I finally realized I was the one who was running from Alzheimer's disease. Until my sister came to town, and reversals started happening. My sister is an artist, and she sees the world differently. Through her eyes, I am able to see the lives of people with Alzheimer's still have worth and dignity, These people who can no longer read, no longer speak, no longer reason, still have so much to give. This thought is a contradiction to the human mind. But perhaps it is not a contradiction to the human heart. If we as individuals and as a society can find the courage to come very close to this mysterious disease and to stay close for a long time, we will discover, as my sister has, and as I now have, that there is value beyond measure, that people with Alzheimer's have so much to teach us, particularly about love. How many of you have heard an elderly relative or friend say, I don't want to be a burden? Well, what if when our elders' capacities diminish, they were not burdens? What if? Changing our lives and our priorities in order to care for them was an honor. What if spending time and energy and money enhancing their lives was a joy? What if loving them as they prepare to leave this life was our greatest blessing? What if in caring for them and loving them, we become our best selves What if? Alzheimer's disease, without question, is a call to love. 
May we have the courage to hear this call. And may our answer be yes. Amen. Act 2, Scene 9. It's another day in the activity room at the care center. Kathy and Danny are gathering the residents for an activity. Some residents are already sitting in chairs in a half circle. Tom, who is dressed in a colorful sweater, is smiling, standing up straight, and clearly has a lot of energy. He is playing ball with the residents. As he says each name, one at a time, the resident looks at him, and he tosses the beach ball. The resident catches it smiling and tosses it back. When it's Lizzie's turn, he addresses her as Lizzie Mom. Maggie sits next to Lizzie, enthusiastically coaching her. Well, it's time for dancing, and everyone is here. That's good. You're here again too, Father Tom. That's great. Yep, I'm here almost every day now. I just don't want to miss a single thing that happens. There's never a dull moment. Well, that's for sure. Am I in time? Yes, you are, Eva. Time for dancing, everyone, so let's put the ball away and stand up as best we can. And all you listeners out there, you can join us, too. I hope you enjoyed the play. I know I sure did. And I hope you will join us on September 17th. Uh, at the same time, we're going to have the cast and crew with us to do a talk back. And we'd love to hear your thoughts as well. Uh, in the meantime, please uh, like, click, and share this with your friends and sphere of influence. And also, don't forget to go to alzheimerspeaks.com. That's our main website where you can find lots of resources. Enjoy your week. Bye now. Hey, everybody. Jared Sebesti, your host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life 
are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurpose on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.